when we are not healed and when we are operating on unprocessed trauma, our bodies feel yucky and they feel out of control and they remind us day in and day out that we're not healed. And so that is one of the most powerful ways to really check in on your healing is that when you can wake up in the morning and, okay, let's start the day versus ugh, another day. I mean, that's a really powerful sentiment. What's going on, everyone? Emily Abadi here. You are listening to another installment of Hurdle Moment from Hurdle, a wellness-focused podcast where I connect with everyone from your favorite athletes to top experts and industry CEOs about their highest highs, toughest moments, and everything in between. We all go through hurdles in life, and my goal through these discussions is to empower you to better navigate yours and move with intention so that you can stride toward your own big potential. And of course have some fun along the way. For today's episode, I am sitting down with Dr. Elizabeth Fedrick. She's a licensed professional counselor. She's also the founder of Evolve Counseling in both Gilbert and Phoenix, Arizona. And we are chatting all about trauma and how to process it, how to know that you are healing. As we cover in today's chat, listen, there are so many different events and types of trauma that we go through in our life and big or small, each of them can leave a lasting impact on us. So Dr. Fedrick is schooling us in how to move through it. Different helpful strategies ranging from acknowledgement and taking a good, solid look at the individuals you surround yourself with, as well as acknowledging potential patterns, whether that be with the people that you hang out with or choose to spend your time with, or perhaps in decisions that you're making and how those patterns can be indicative of where you are in your healing journey. I also found it really interesting when Dr. Fedrick talked about how trauma may present itself in our day-to-day lives, including sporadic movements that we may not even be cognizant of. Fidgeting, if you will. Anyway, this conversation full of actionable tips, tricks, and takeaways that I know you are really going to appreciate. Make sure, if you haven't done so yet, that you are following Hurdle on social over at Hurdle Podcast. And if you have yet to rate and review the show, I would just really, really appreciate you if you take a second and do just that. The link to do so is in the show notes. Give it five stars. You know you want to. <laughs> Make sure you're also following me over at Emily Abadi. And with that, let's get to hurdling. Today, I am sitting down with Dr. Elizabeth Fedrick. She's a licensed professional counselor. She's also the founder of Evolve Counseling located in Arizona. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. I'm so happy that the schedule is aligned and I am positive, (laughs) absolutely positive that we are here to talk about something extremely important today and that 
is navigating trauma and signs that you're healing from trauma. So before we get into that, why don't you give us a little bit of insight as to who you are and how you got into this line of work as a certified professional counselor? Sure, absolutely. So yes, I I am a licensed professional counselor. I own a couple practices here in Arizona, uh, group private practices, and uh, I specialize in relationships and attachment, anxiety and depression and trauma. So those are the key elements of what I work with my clients on. I've been in the field for a very long time. I started out by working with children and adolescents, and then over time, it has evolved into me working more with adults and then relationship-based. And so whether it's individually working on their relationships or together as a couple or as a family, uh, that is that is my wheelhouse. That is what I do. And did you always think that you wanted to go down this path professionally? Well, I, I knew I wanted to be a counselor from a very young age. So that was a psychology component I've known. How I've arrived at the work that I'm doing currently has certainly been a process. And it's been such a beautiful journey because it, you know, really a lot of growth that takes place in each aspect of my career that has then led me to the next. And so I really do feel like I have found my passion and where I want to be in this field. You know, it's interesting hearing you say, I knew that I wanted to work in, you know, the psychology side of things from a young age. Was there anything specific that happened that fostered that desire within you? Um, probably some dysfunctional stuff of being, you know, family's caretaker and um, problem solver and, you know, really taking on that that role from a very young age. And so uh, people would tell me so often, you know, you're wise beyond your years, which we know really is translation to codependency and all these other aspects. But at the time, that was really, uh, I and not at the time, currently still, I really just enjoy helping people and I enjoy providing empathy and support and helping people to see things from different perspectives. And so that's just something I've I've liked for a very long time, starting in childhood. Yeah. There are probably many women listening to this, hurdlers as I call them, listening to this that can really understand and sympathize with the idea of wise beyond your years are also being the person that's the caretaker. So right. you're certainly not alone within that. Yes. Yes. And it is true. And there's a lot of what I sit with, with relationships that being, you know, betraying one's needs and boundaries to show up for other people, which are learned behaviors. Oh man, betraying wants, needs, and boundaries. Jeez, there's so much to unpack here. <laughs> but trauma. Let's focus on what we showed up here to chat about today. And before we address signs that you are potentially healing from trauma, it's probably important that we give a summation of what exactly trauma is and the different forms that it can come in. Right. So trauma from a broad broad perspective is can be de- defined as anything that shatters your worldview. So the way you once saw life, the way you once saw yourself, the other people in your life, you no longer look at it the same way because of this event that has taken place. And to your point, that can be any that can be small. That can be something that is really subjective that maybe nobody else understands and that can range then all the way to the bigger traumatic events that that we know to identify as trauma. But really any of those events that influence your world worldview and your beliefs about yourself um, can be identified as trauma. And we also look at it from the lens of if you think back to this event that took place and it elicits an emotional response as though it just happened yesterday or last week or even present moment, 
we then identify that as unprocessed trauma. And so there's these two components of it. Um, and as we age, it, it manifests in a whole lot of way in our in our mental health, in symptoms of anxiety, depression, finding ourselves repeatedly in the same type of dysfunctional relationships. There are a plethora of reasons and ways that that, especially that unprocessed trauma continues to influence us way into adulthood. Trauma is so interesting in that there can be something that maybe in the moment you don't realize has such a long-term or landmark impact on you. But then many, many years down the line, you're having a conversation with someone or simply, who knows, moving something around the apartment. And then it's like, bam, this thing just pops up again. Why is that? So to go into, I'll try to make it not too long-winded, but from a <laughs> uh, biological, neurological perspective, we have the emotional center of our brain, which is our amygdala. And our amygdala is what triggers the fight and flight response. And the amygdala stores sensory memory. So when we've had an event that sends us into a threat state, that we feel unsafe, that we feel like our worldview is being shattered, those sensory components of that event actually get stored into this portion of our brain. And so then, we, as you're saying, we can be in a present day situation. We can be doing something as simple as the dishes, eating dinner with our partner, whatever the case. And if something triggers that sensory memory of this event, it floods our body in the same way that we're in a threat state yet again. It floods us with uh, adrenaline, cortisol, norepinephrine, all of those things that sends us into the fight or flight state. And so then we, that is, you know, the, the big buzzword trigger that we hear so often and people talk so commonly about, that is actually what's happening scientifically as a trigger is that our brain is alerting us, hey, this has happened before. And so you need to protect yourself. And it becomes really maladaptive if we're not aware of it, but truly our brain is designed to keep us safe. And so mm. it's an amazing quality that we have if we know how to manage it. But if it's left outside of our awareness and we don't know what to do with it, it often becomes hu hugely detrimental to our relationships and to ourself. It would be really easy to ask a simple question that's not so simple, like, okay, so how do we manage it? But I know <laughs> that the answer is not something that we can just sum up in a matter of 30 to 60 seconds. Right. And it's true. And what I tell people, yes, there's a whole process. Seek out you know, help from a mental health professional, but start with self-awareness. And that is the best place. That is my, my quick, quickest little nutshell of information for you would be start with self-awareness, understand why your body reacts in the way it does and the things that are triggering it. And that's a really profound place to start with this process. And that holds true for so many different things in our life, right? When it comes to something that we may want to influence or make a change in, the first step to being able to go about doing that is recognizing what's happening with you right in front of you. And that in itself can be a challenge. Is that right? Oh my gosh, incredibly, because we operate in this comfort zone and we are just operating on autopilot. And so a big part of our childhood is a programming that takes place and it becomes what we identify as normal and what we expect out of our relationships and our reactions to other people. All of these behaviors we carry into adulthood, we do think this is just the way that it is. And so to take a step back and to assess like, well, wait a minute, 
maybe this is not the healthiest way that it could be. Maybe this is not the best way that it could be. That is really hard work to step outside of that comfort zone. And then to address something that many people struggle with, which is access and cost to mental health services, once someone has that level of self-awareness and maybe they do want to seek out additional help or services but feel overwhelmed by the monetary burden, what do you say to them then? I say that there are a lot of resources available, and I am not going to, for one second, be dismissive around that, that, oh, it's so easy, you can figure it out. No, for a lot of people, it's not. But there are state-funded programs. There are a lot of scholarship programs. There, If you have medical insurance, there's EAPs. There, So there are different ways to go about it. But when people tell me like it is completely off the table... I hear you, I see you, I get it. But there are other methods that you can go about, whether it's YouTube videos, podcasts, books, that you are digging into content that is still relevant, though, of course, it's not the same. Um, Right. But I say that to be empowering, that if we recognize there's an issue, then we focus on what is within our circle of control of how we can do something about it. And that's going to be across the spectrum for a lot of people. What is in our circle of control? I love that concept. So now pivoting to chatting about trauma and healing and how to know when the healing is really happening. Where do we even begin? So we will head back to the self-awareness. So we have to have a baseline of where we're starting. And so we have to understand this is what happened to me. This is how it impacted me, and this is how I'm showing up as a result. And when we have a real conceptualization of that, we can then understand when we're choosing to do something differently. When our results are different because of those changes in behavior, we now have a baseline that we can reference back to. Because of the way that we adapt as humans, it's so easy, and I run into this a lot you know, in therapy, so I maybe I'm working with a client for a year or so, and they might say something like, you know, I'm not making any change. I'm not making any progress. And because we have the awareness around that baseline, because we established that together early on, we can look back to that and say, oh my gosh, like, look at how different your world is today in comparison. And so that's why I really encourage people to start first and foremost with what are you struggling with? Where are the symptoms of trauma popping up for you? And identify that and then start your healing journey and you have something to reflect back on. Right. So if we were to put this into practice, what could an example of someone who has gone through something and may now be exhibiting signs that they've healed, what might that look like? So being less reactive would be a big sign of this. Um, Because of the way the amygdala works of triggering that fight or flight response, it sends sends us into reactive behaviors, which for some people can be explosive and volatile. For other people, it can be withdrawing and isolating. And so when you recognize that you have a better handle on that, and when something happens that triggers you, and you can now respond in a calmer, more organized fashion, we know that that's a sign of it for sure. The relationships that we choose would be another big aspect of that as well. And then our mood states. So did have our symptoms of anxiety and depression decreased? Another big indicator. If we were to articulate maybe some of those symptoms just to bring some awareness to the listener, can you do that for us? Absolutely. So symptoms of anxiety would be 
overthinking, worrying a lot, excessive energy in your body. So a lot of leg shaking or skin picking where you just feel like you want to crawl out of your skin in a lot of ways. It often impacts your sleep. So maybe you have a hard time falling or staying asleep and then impacts appetite. And so that anxiety is just a constant worry that something bad is going to happen, even if you don't know what the bad is. And with the symptoms of depression, this is generally low moods. This is also can be a shift in sleep and appetite. It's loss of interest in previously enjoyed activities, a hard time connecting with others. So maybe doing more withdrawing, a lack of motivation, lack of focus, lack of energy. I would love it if we can now address what happens for the person who finds themselves in their healing journey and is so frustrated because they feel completely stuck. I can definitely vouch that I have been there. I'm sure you yourself have been there. What sentiments do you have to share with that person who really does want to move forward? So let's first stop by acknowledging and really giving ourselves credit for how far we've come. Like that's first and foremost of look at how much progress you have made. And we call this motivational interviewing. It's a therapeutic technique where we can draw on what was required for you to get from the beginning to where you are right now. What did that entail? What did you influence during that time? And we can pull on those strengths to then move us to the next step. But another aspect of this is we need to figure out what does that even mean? So if we're feeling frustrated that we're feeling stuck, what does unstuck look like? What are you hoping to achieve? How are you hoping to, afe- hoping to feel? And really write this out. Write out a list of what, what are you wanting to be different in your life to feel healthier, to feel better in general. Um, and then draw on those strengths and the skill set that you already have because you've already made progress to then start to move to that next level. But if you don't know right. what you're working towards, it's really hard to ever feel successful in it. Right. Wow. What a really great point. So it seems as though this concept of not only writing things down, but also visualization can be very helpful. And I love that. I love the idea of visualization. I'm a huge manifester. I um, believe that you know what we put out into the universe really does become our reality. Um, and obviously, it's not that simple, but that there is a huge component to that. I feel as though a lot of individuals who may not be on the manifestation bandwagon aren't on it because they fe- they think that the language can be a little unrealistic. What do you say to them about that? I completely agree. Um, but <laughs> the type of manifester that I am is that I'm going to identify what it is that I want to manifest, and then I'm going to work my butt off to achieve it. And so I'm going to put it out there, but then I'm also going to identify all the steps again that are within my circle of control to achieve that. And so I don't believe we just put it out there and then it happens. We put it out there and then we work towards it. You've offered up some really helpful tips so far. What else should we be mindful of when it comes to implementing some best practices on our journey to really achieving that goal state of healing? Yes. So who we surround ourselves with has to be something we consider. And so what are the, the the primary relationships in your life, the people you spend most of your time with? Obviously, coworkers aside, that's a harder one to influence or control. But the people you go home with, go home to, the people who you're surrounding yourself with on the weekends, when you aren't feeling fully supported or encouraged in your healing journey, 
it can be really hard to be motivated or to stay focused on that. And so that's a great place to check in on, you know, who who's in your support system. And then also, what are your daily habits? Again, easy to lose sight of that. When it comes to sleep, to nutrition, to exercise, to meditation, to all of these things that we can be doing to really nourish and nurture our bodies and our minds, how much of that are you engaging in? And so I think, you know, the self-reflection around these are all your choices. These are all things that you can influence and control. But because of the fact that we often run on autopilot, most of us lose sight of so many of these things. And so when you're in this healing journey, I think it's really about, okay, stop and acknowledge how far you've come and then figure out what it's going to take to go to that next step, which is going to require you to step outside of your comfort zone. Yeah. Stepping outside of your comfort zone is really what so much of this is really, really rooted in. And I really appreciated that tip of looking to see who you're surrounding yourself with. You mentioned earlier that recognizing patterns in the kinds of people that you spend your time with could be a really solid indicator of whether or not you yourself are actually healed. How so? Yes. So the patterns of the people that we continue to choose. And so it's easy to feel frustrated in a relational dynamic because of what that other person is doing or not doing without taking a step back to wonder why, why do we keep choosing the same type of person? Why? And maybe even if it's not the same type of person, if we're starting to identify these behaviors or traits about these people that we don't like, why are we continuing to engage? And so really assessing, and and that ties into, which is a very long-winded process of our relational programming and what happens in childhood that influences the people that we pick. But when we have an awareness around, okay, we keep choosing the same type of person, and then we keep behaving in the same type of way with that person, that's our responsibility and something we need to assess and figure out how, how we can drive change there. Yeah. And I'd also love it if we could touch on the concept of your inner dialogue and how that plays out when it comes to the healing journey as well. Yes. That's such a great question. So that actually ties also into this childhood component. So through childhood, we, and then into adulthood, we develop something called core beliefs. And our core beliefs are the lens through which we see the world. And so it's based on these consistent interactions with our caregivers teachers, peers. So for example, depending on how your caregiver shows up for you, it it might create core beliefs of maybe I'm not good enough. I'm not lovable. I'm not worthy. uh, I have to earn love. All of these beliefs get developed early on and then get reaffirmed through the lifespan. And so when I talk about that being the lens through which you see the world, if you imagine that you're wearing sunglasses with a purple tint and I'm wearing sunglasses with a green tint, you and I could look at the same tree, but you're going to see it purple and I'm going to see it green. And those are our core beliefs. That also becomes our inner dialogue. And so when we mess up, when we feel rejected, when we feel abandoned, when something happens to us that creates a lack of safety or discomfort in our body, our inner dialogue is what pops up immediately. It's those automatic thoughts. And so if those core beliefs that we're operating on are Let's say you messed up at work and your core belief is I'm not good enough or I'm not worthy. That inner dialogue then reaffirms for you. Yep. See, you're not good enough. Now we can do something about that. We can work to reprogram those core beliefs. But again, we have to start with the awareness that those core beliefs and that inner dialogue exists before we can do something about it. 
And Mm. then at that point, we can work to reframe. So when a thought comes up of, gosh, you're such a failure, well, no, I made a mistake. And that would be the reframe. Right, right. And that reframing process and getting to a place in your healing journey and in life where you are less hard on yourself can be so difficult. Incredibly. And can also be a lifelong journey, right? Because those core beliefs are so cemented in you. And so that might be your automatic thought for a very long time. Like I'm such, I'm not worthy. I, I mess up all the time. But you do have the ability to catch it and choose to reframe it. And the more often you reframe it, the more that shifts to being your automatic thought. And I also feel like it's important to acknowledge you were, you said that phrase, lifelong journey. And honestly, healing from most trauma is a lifelong journey. It's not like you wake up one day and like every single thing that has ever faced you is no longer an issue. It doesn't work like that. But as you've reiterated so many of these helpful tips, implementing this structure can be a way for you to move forward in a more healthy and progressive way. Right. And all of this, whether it is your healing journey, whether it's rewiring your inner dialogue, all of it starts with awareness, starts with you sitting down and really assessing what's going on in my life right now. What am I not feeling comfortable with? Where is it coming from? Is there anything else before I let you go when it comes to signs that you're healing from trauma that you feel like we should really address? I, you know, the, the real overall idea of that is how you're feeling in your body from day to day. And so is your body feeling comfortable at peace? Is it feeling neutral? Obviously there will be fluctuations. We are humans. We have human experiences. But what is the most consistent feelings that you have in your body? And that is a really good indicator of healing because when we are not healed and when we are operating on unprocessed trauma, our bodies feel yucky and they feel out of control and they remind us day in and day out that we're not healed. And so that is one of the most powerful ways to really check in on your healing is that when you can wake up in the morning and like, okay, let's start the day versus another day. I mean, that's a really powerful sentiment. It's so important, too, to have that pulse check with yourself, right? Because so often we, as you said before, just live in this state of autopilot. It's like, oh, well, like I'm used to having a dull headache every day when I wake up or insert other random ailment or feeling here. And we just accept this ambient level of discomfort as the normal. And it doesn't have to be that way. And it does not at all. And, and one of the tools that I work with, I give to my clients a lot. I call it the three W's. This is a great way to check in on that. The first W being what's going on. So you do a body scan and, and assess what's going on in your body. Where is it coming from? Is there anything creating this feeling? Is there any triggers that's happening? And then what do I need? And the what do I need is really how do we regulate? How do we nurture? How do we nourish? How do we take care of ourselves? And by doing those three W's a couple times throughout the day, it it keeps you aware of that pulse check. It keeps you aware of the baseline of how your body is shifting to your environment. Dr. Fedrick, I'm so happy that we were able to make this happen. So many helpful, useful tips in this conversation. How do the hurdlers follow along with you? How do they keep up with you? Give us all of your details. Sure. So my website is evolvecounselingaz.com. And then you can find me on Instagram at Dr. Dr. Elizabeth Fedrick. Beautiful. I'm over at Emily Abadi and at Hurdle Podcast. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time. <laughs>